You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Denver? Chris Lopez here. And today's podcast, we have a special guest. Nicole Ruth with Fairway Mortgage has a powerful story. She's the number one loan originator here in Colorado. She's an investor with over 20 doors. She has three adult children and didn't start her investing career until she was about 40 years old. So lots to unpack here and lots to go into. Nicole, I'm thrilled to have you here. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. So I noticed uh, when you... One of the things you put in your notes here is that you had a a very special person, a very special realtor years ago kind of start the journey. And I'm not sure if that's the best place to start. If you want to rewind it more than that, I want to give you room to tell your story, but I want to make sure we talk about this realtor that kind of puts you on this trajectory. We can start there because then we could do like a pre-dawn and post-dawn. All right. (laughs) uh, I mean, everybody has a person, right? If you want to tell your own story, everybody has a time, a person, an event that changes the trajectory of their lives. The The question is whether or not they want to acknowledge that person and give them the gift of knowing that they did that. Uh, for me, it was Don Kramer, and he is uh, was a real estate agent. He was older when I met him. I met him at the John Fisher Breakfast Club oh, yeah. back when that was a thing. I'm kind of dating myself. Uh, you know, and it it was before Meetup and we didn't have Facebook and it was the place where investors would come. And I wasn't an investor. I have to be really clear with that. Like I was a lender looking for real estate agents. That was it. That was the end game. The end game was to walk into an event that other lenders were too afraid to walk into because I knew, and I don't say this in a conceited way at all, but I just knew I was smarter than the next guy. Like I, I could understand how lending programs work together. I could understand how deals were made. I came from a consulting background and I thought, okay, so the normal lender is going to want the normal deal. I'm going to go after the abnormal deal to get in where other just, I'm just going to defeat the competition. Uh, so I walked in trying to make a deal happen And I sat next to a gentleman and I'm starting to just talk about what his business looks like. Does he have a a current lender? What does that scope look like? What does the room look like? Well, he came to the meeting looking for an investment opportunity. He came to the meeting looking for a buyer. He had a deal. I came to the meeting looking for a real estate agent. He won. We only did that one deal together. (laughs) (laughs) And I never worked with him again. And I never really worked with anybody else in that, uh, that room because I did find out that the John Fisher Investment Club... It was eccentric. They were moving a lot of land, car washes, storage units, the whole thing. It was a lot of fun to learn, um, but it didn't have a place really for a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac lender. Yep. <laughs> so I, I worked. Uh, I got worked. I didn't. I didn't end up winning that one, but I won a, a fourplex, which was a game changer. At the time, I didn't get it. Like I at the time, I had one roof over my head that I had bought with my husband when I was 27 years old. So I grew up with a single mom who, um, you know, she was, she gigged it. She had, she didn't have a corporate job. She had um, multiple jobs and those jobs paid typically on commission. And so when she did well, we went to Disneyland. And when she didn't, we were at the church and on food stamps. So it was a very roller coaster upbringing. And it wasn't a bad upbringing. I mean, there's a lot of joy in that. But at the same time, I didn't understand real estate because we rented and we bounced and, and that was just life. And you didn't, you didn't evaluate it. You just lived it. 
And then when I uh, got married, my husband and I bought a home. We had our first child, and then we had our second child, and then we had our third child. Holy smoke, that happened fast. We had three kids under three. We had a roof over our head. We were both in corporate America. He was still doing it. I uh, stopped working for a period of time, and then I reached out to a friend. I needed a job, and he happened to be a lender. It's as random as it was, and I ended up going to work from him, and it kind of built up from there. But you know, all heading towards this one meeting that I had no idea was in my future, and I had no idea what it would impact. But all of a sudden, that conversation and that transaction turned into a higher purpose for my work that I had already been in at that time for seven or eight years. And now all of a sudden, that work was different. It had purpose. Okay, I want to. I feel like you're about to pivot there. I, I got. Two, I got two questions here for you. What was uh, the actually the first one is? So you were not looking for an investment property when you went to the Fisher Breakfast Club, right? Not at all. So was it even on your radar? Had not you even talked to buying a rental property? So how how that connection happened? Because a lot of times like, hey, if I have a deal or you know, someone has a deal to go out there and buy, if you're not looking for a rental property, you're usually not my best prospect. Like right. what was the the what was the change that got you saying, hey, we need to do this and you're able to do it? Like what was the events there? So he had, Don had a, a pocket listing, if you will, right? And there was a lot more of that then than now. Uh, and so he had this fourplex. It was uh, an older woman who had passed. Uh, her son was a pastor and he wanted nothing to do with the rental properties. And she had a handful. And so he was convinced that this was a property that was supposed to be mine because of this chance that I sat down next to him. And here I am, an intelligent woman trying to take charge of my career. And I needed to do this. And ultimately, I didn't want to, but I mean, it was one of those things where he's talking and I'm going, huh, well, that's a different way of looking at real estate, or that's a different way to look at what I do on a daily basis. And it took time. It was like a 45-day close because it was a pocket listing. It wasn't even on the market. He didn't have to move it by a specific date. And so by the time it was all said and done, we met for coffee probably three or four or five times before we ever signed the contract. And he just kept talking about the vision. It wasn't about the transaction. It never was. The vision of the property or the vision for your future investing career? The vision of investing. The vision of investing. That this would be the beginning of changing my life. Now, he didn't use the word trajectory, but I use that a lot now. That it literally changed the trajectory, how you go from being raised by a single mom renting to having one roof over your head, which is what most Americans have if they even have the ability to own it. Mm -hmm. But then to say, well, what is this now? And I went all in, like we bought a fourplex in Arvada for 330,000. So we didn't just buy a single family home. We bought a fourplex and now we have a little bit of a soap opera thing going on because then I'm trying to figure all this out. But he, I, I think it was the care. It was the wisdom. He was older. Um, it was the care. It was the look forward as to what am I building? I have three babies at home. Uh, I'm doing this career. I'm I'm driving them around between sports events and these and these meetups and the things that I'm doing. And all of a sudden, I think he just spoke in when I was ready to listen, but mm -hmm. I wasn't looking. No, that that makes total sense. And like what you're talking there, what like Don did with you, like you yeah. know he he genuinely cared and really spent time to coach, for lack of better words, and kind of like point you in that bigger direction. Like, I know I do that in my business, do that in your business, like that genuine caring about people and be like, hey, I need to go here. Let me give you some more direction. And sometimes they'll kick in the butt to help you out along the way. And it's just a great, such a great way to like build a business, 
add value and really make some amazing relationships. Yes. So it's so cool to hear that. The second question I want to hear before we go on this, like the, the second half of the book is what was your lending business like before? Cause it sounded like that helped kind of pivot your lending business as well. Mm-hmm. Or is that an incorrect assumption on my part? It definitely did. Now okay. it took years to have that unpack. Um, but before that I was your, it was your standard lender then. Like it was different than it is today, but it was, you know, dropping off goodies at real estate offices, trying to get in front of them, trying to do um, one-on-ones. You didn't really teach classes back then. You certainly didn't have Zoom or any of those uh, where you could put yourself in front of a group. So then it was just about, and then of course, you know, you belong to the Chamber of Commerce, you belong to the Association of Realtors, those sorts of things. Yep. I did three to four loans a month at that time. And every once in a while, I bounced to six and that was a good month. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so with that meeting, did that influence you doing more investing stuff as kind of like your personal focus went more towards rentals and building an investment portfolio? So by the time it was all said and done, and I'm pro- we're probably talking two months between the time I met him and the time we closed. Mm-hmm. So by the time it was all said and done, it was exhausting. It was stressful. It was frustrating. I had to give up cash, 25% of 330, which today sounds different than it did then. <laughs> it was a lot. Now it's 3.30 a door for a fourplex. (laughs) It really is. Uh, And so to do that, it was was stressful. Um, But my husband and I grew. Like we were talking a lot and we were thinking about our future more. We were so busy doing life between getting married and having kids and moving from Texas to Colorado and then me leaving the job and doing... We were so busy doing life. Mm -hmm. We, We didn't stop to talk about the future. What did it look like? 10, 20, 30 years from now? What did we want our kids to have 10, 20, 30 years from now? So we started having these conversations. And by the time it was all done, I was like, holy crap, that was a lot of work. We got to do that again. And my husband was like, we don't want to do that again. Like he was like done and I was ready. And we literally went under contract within a week and bought a single family home within three weeks. So, and that was a great rental. We p- picked that up for a hundred and I don't even know, 117,000. We sold it for 400,000 uh, at the beginning of COVID. So little did I know I should have held on to it for two more years, but that's beside the point. So those are the things where we just like, the way we attack things uh, and we're blessed to still be married uh, decades later. But here we are uh, looking at this two different ways. And then it's, then it's slowed down because now we had just spent... 25% on a 330 property, 25% on a hundred seventy. Good chunk Again, of money. That was, yes, a, a big chunk of money for us doing the deals that I was doing at the time and living the lifestyle we were living at the time. And then we didn't buy anything for another three or four years. And, and at that time, I think I molded who I was becoming slowly. I didn't, not intentionally. I was slowly becoming the person that liked to talk about it, liked to open up the door, liked to be that Don Kramer for somebody else, but I didn't know how to encapsulate that. And it wasn't until we bought uh, another fourplex in Colorado Springs, which I later found out was in an area called Heroin Alley. Like I didn't know that existed, but you learned the hard way. And so we bought that fourplex and we got a property manager and all of a sudden we went next level. Now we have a property manager. Now we have a property outside of our area. Now we're not answering the phones and doing the landscape. I had my kids mowing. We were cleaning out the gutters, doing all the things. So now all of a sudden, we're a little bit more, um, I don't want to say intelligent about it because that's the wrong word. We were more intentional in the way we attacked this 
third property. Was that uh, just like a pure time issue? Just like busy professional, three young kids, just like, hey, bandwidth, what can we cut out? And property management is usually like a very low-hanging fruit. Is it was it just was that the reason? It was no, I think with that, now we had at that point, we had nine doors, right? So we had the two fourplexes and the single family. Now everybody talks about wanting 10 doors. Like that's a thing. I don't know why that's a thing, but that's the thing that we always hear. It's like, and I was like, now we have nine and we have our primary. I said, we're investors. Like all of a sudden it just became real. And we started talking about it with more intentionality. Now I wanted to teach on it. Now I wanted to start to help other people like, okay, I I did that. Like, look at the thing that we just did. We just did that. How can I help other people? Because I didn't have the knowledge. We certainly didn't have the financial wherewithal to be doing this. We probably overextended ourselves, um, but we believed in, in the idea of the future. And so we wanted to pull that in. And then when I found that we found success, maybe by accident, I wanted to create, I wanted to get rid of the accident part of it. And I wanted to create more intention around the progress. And was that like getting the intention? Was that something you did very methodically? Did you follow like a, a self improvement program, or was it just like, oh my gosh, life is crazy? We got to scale it back and only focus on what's important to us. Like, mm-hmm. how'd you go from there? Because it's you know, you you make it sound easy, which I know it was not. Right. So you know, I've been through it myself, and a lot of investors have as well. Like, can you help people who are coming up on that similar phase, kind of in that same stuff? Like, how can they go out there and be intentional about it and scale? Because a lot of people aren't able to. They get stuck. They hit a roadblock. Like, what tips would you give, or if you could like rewind to years ago, like what what was some like the triggers that helped you out? As I look back, I did not follow a program. I did not sign up for a course. What I did was I started to enlist an A team. I started to enlist who is the realtor going forward that's going to have my back and help me find these properties? Who's the CPA that I need to engage with? My financial planner at the time, we had we had made money and we had lost it. And then we made some more and then we lost again. Like I have no chooser in me for stocks. And so my we finally found a financial planner that I believed in that had us diversified. And I started talking to him about it. And he didn't understand real estate the way I wanted to. and But he was willing to learn with me, right? So he's on this journey. My CPA is learning what That's I That's really cool. Not many financial planners will. No. That's really cool. I give his name out a ton. He's a fantastic, fantastic guy. And he's he's young and excited and, and now um, invested himself. So I think it was that. I think it was, I don't know that you need a method there's a hundred ways to invest in real estate and a hundred ways to do each one of those. I don't think that there's one way to success. I think that once you pick a way and you stay consistent and you believe in it, then I think you'll find and you'll start to attract the people around you that will lean in and that need you to lean into them. And then all of a sudden you start creating a tribe, Mm -hmm. right? And with that tribe, it was, who could I count on? And a lot of it was that real estate lender relationship, me being my own lender, of course. Um, but I I can't do my own deals, right? Legally, I can't do my own deals. So now I've got to lean on who's my my person that I'm going to. Uh, and now I can't even get Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac deals. So now I'm like, who's my portfolio person? I've got to lean. That's a new one. Uh, so that's my newest addition to my A-team. I, I think that that's, that has been the biggest win for me. And then they're bringing better. And then I would say the second thing, in addition to the A-team, is the goals. So a lot of people talk about the method. 
I will tell you, I don't care about cap rate. I don't look at the net income. I get that investors will probably throw tomatoes at me for that saying that, but I don't look at those things. I look at what is my what is my goal set. So I'm constantly focused on, and Peter and I talk about it, my husband and I talk about it all the time. Where are we on our goal? Like, or how are we tracking? So if I'm I'm 53 today, I started when I was 40 and bought my first one. And if I'm looking at this, if I want to be done at 62, to some degree, I'm kind of a workaholic and my team will tell you that and I'm sure I'll be involved in some level, but I want my, my rental income to do a very good job of offsetting my current income, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do. So we're, you know, we're even under contract right now for another fourplex and another single family because we have this, this goal set. So if that's my goal. How much money do I want? What is that age at retirement? How old am I today? How much money do I have to invest in properties today? And then of the assets that I have the opportunity to buy, how much will those opportunities net income at that time, right? So I'm uh, I'm really curious how you said, since you don't really look at too many metrics. Right. So you're in a contract, you send a fourplex right now? Yes. So how did you evaluate and why that fourplex? Was it location? Wasn't cap rate? It doesn't sound like. It's not cap rate. Is it uh, like A class, B class, C class? Like what? Mm-hmm. What's the stuff that's important? Because obviously you have your buy box. I do. Right. Like I do. What's your buy box? And how do you evaluate a, a deal? So my buy box is typically C grade fourplexes side by side with a backyard because Coloradoans love their dogs. Uh, I like it North Denver, so Denver up to Lafayette or to Fort Collins. So it's a pretty big triangle. This particular fourplex and single family was the same seller in Kansas City. So we have um, purchased into a couple of commercial properties in Kansas City at this point. So we've gotten more familiar and more comfortable with Kansas City. Having said that, I just bought all three of my kids their first properties in Denver. And now we're looking for another property in Denver for my oldest son. So I'm still buying in Denver, but I'm looking at Okay, so as my husband and I put our plan together and we have these properties that are all based on amateurizations of when I want to retire. So my biggest thing is, is is it a fourplex, which I like the multiple doors, offsets risk, the whole thing, cash flow. Is it a fourplex? Is it side by side? Does everybody have a piece of grass? And does it pay off with the current market rents on an amortization that gives me the cash flow that has a big enough hit to my income, net income that I want to make at that age? To make it worth it. So do you just, is as simple as like, hey, you want to retire in 15 years and you just say, hey, I'm going to do a 15-year loan or kind of go back and pay extra so it's paid off around the 15-year mark? Is that is that your strategy? It's close. Yes. Okay. So we put everything on a 30-year fixed um, because things like COVID happen and you can't plan for that. And so all of our uh, properties are being paid off on a 20-year AM, a 15-year AM, a 10-year AM based on what they are, based on our timeline and when we bought them. Um, but all of them got paid like a 30-year fixed for three months from March, April, May, right? Because we didn't know what was happening. Oh, yeah. um, so as we're waiting it out, not really even March. March, we paid normal because it didn't happen until after. So April, May, and June. And then by then, we were right back into it. Can I ask you a random question here? Because yes. I know you do a ton of loans. Yes. Um, I have always have people ask, no, do a 30 or 15. We, we go through that. I cannot think of one client ever actually has ever bought a property in a 15-year mortgage for an investment property. For the reasons you said, people put in a 30-year because the interest rate is such a small difference and it gives you an extra, he can pay extra, but he can never pay less. Right. Do many of your clients actually buy properties on 15-year AMs? No, because I'm talking to them. Okay. (laughs) 
but when you get to portfolio and commercial, now you have to do short yeah. AMs, right? Uh, so no, we ninety eight percent of our loans run thirty. Okay, days. even if somebody wants a, a primary home, they want to pay it off. I'll tell you all day long. Your primary home is your worst investment. Take that cash, go do something else with it. I can go on and on, but. Um, so as we looked at our timeline, so we have uh, we have our 401ks, which I had mentioned, my chooser's not really that spot on, yet we still have it. So we're going to spend our 401ks in our 60s, and we're just going to spend it out. That whole idea of 4%, we're not going to do it. Uh, we have a whole life policy. We're going to reinvest that money, cash it out. And then we have our rentals that they're going to start cash flowing 100% outside of escrows. They're going to start cash flowing at 62. And then they the last one gets paid off at 65. These last two that we're buying right now will start paying off at age 70. Because my mu- husband and I had a very frank conversation, and I don't want to get morbid here, but his parents are not alive. And, and my mom and dad are kicking. In fact, they're they're obnoxiously alive. So, and I say that in the most lovingly way. They're healthy and they're they're upbeat. And I'm looking at them going, I'm going to live a long time. And and I don't want to live without my husband, which is really what gets me. Yeah. And so, but we, we're planning for that. So what is, what's the money that we need while he's alive? What am I guessing that I'm going to need to take care of him? What, are, what am I going to need beyond that? And I have to think real and we have to be able to be honest with each other as we go through that. So we have a very specific plan from 60 years old to 100 years old in how are we going to delegate the cash flow and the properties drop into that. I love it. I've never heard of, um, something that really stuck out to me is how you're like in your 60s, you're really going to like just basically like draw down your 401k to zero, not right. do the safe withdrawal weight of 4% a year. So the plan is to blow the, I should say blow, to spend the 401k in your 60s. And as the rentals pay off, just live off of that. And then have, you'll have some other income coming in from sounds like life insurance policies and things like that. But go through 401k, I guess, spend it before you hit your required minimum distributions at 70 and a half and go off the rentals. That's so, I've never heard anyone do that. So unique. It's, we're just thinking in buckets. My mind works in buckets. And so we're just managing our retirement. And that's, so each rental that we buy fits into a bucket. And then there's the kid bucket, right? There's, then there's a, some of these rental properties I'll sell specifically at a time where I'm planning on selling it for that cash flow. So that $330,000 fourplex in Arvada is now worth 1.1. By the time we retire, it'll be worth 1.82, who knows, right? And so that little property is going to drop in at a very specific time and infuse cash. And yes, well, I have to pay capital gains. I get all those things. But there's some properties that we're going to 1031 exchange. There's some properties we're going to gift to our kids because we have a trust set up and they'll get them with a step up in value. And there's a few that we're going to take and we're going to take the hit to put that cash back in our pocket. But it's intentional. Yeah. But you you have everything planned out. Like I said, you've got mm-hmm. some you're going to pass on, some you'll sell in 1031 and continue to trade up, and some you just say, take the take the money off the table. So something I want to look back to, because you said you really focus on C-grade properties or C-grade fourplexes. Um, now, obviously, you've been through a few market cycles. You've seen the good bag of real estate. Why C-grade properties? Because people either really love them or really don't like them. There's usually very few people that are, you know, middle of the road to like a C-grade property. So you like, like it a lot or don't like a lot. Why do you like it? I like it because two adults making minimum wage can afford my rent. And Walmart is always hiring. Mm-hmm. There was a month when I didn't believe that during COVID. And then they came out and Walmart and Amazon went on a tear in hiring. So those kinds of jobs, although be it 
during transitional pandemics, you have moments where you're wondering if they're going to be able to pay the rent. And I get that there was a lot of people that didn't have their rent paid, but a C grade allows people to step down if they need to in rent. I don't want to ever have a high, you know, an A-class rental property that I need a $4,000 or $5,000 a month rent to make the numbers work. Now, have you noticed that like, I've heard about, you know, hey, people can step down, but I've heard other investors say in like in the 2008, um, you know, if it's C-class property and it's almost like D-class tenants or F-class tenants, did you notice a similar pattern with your properties over the years? So we, um, we didn't have them in 2008, okay. right? So when we had our properties, uh, and I respect that a lot of people went through a lot of trying times uh, in 2008. So we purchased our first property 13 years ago. So just shortly thereafter. Um, but our properties during COVID, which is the best uh, show for that, we immediately went in and addressed each tenant as uh, a valuable member of our tribe, if you will, right? I mean, we're all in this together. My job is to make this as livable as possible because we're all trapped in our homes. It's the middle of a pandemic. What do you need? Now, we've been maintaining, I always believe in maintaining a, a safe place to live, a clean, safe place yep. to live. So we've been maintaining it, but do you need something else? Do you need new carpets? Do you need a fresh appliance? Do you need something that's going to make that stay? Uh, and then do you need help? And we gathered all the help that was available in the in Denver and in Colorado, and we provided that to them. So we humanized the experience. We only had one tenant that went on a payment plan. Everybody else paid. Wow. That's yeah. really impressive for that size of portfolio. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I want to uh, totally change topics here because I get this question a lot when we do events or as we do podcasts and comes a lot of like aspiring female investors and aspiring mm -hmm. females looking into like the investment community from a professional status. They so say, hey, we want more, get more women, get more women speaking and presenting. So you're obviously like, uh, you know, a poster child for that just with your success, your portfolio. So Two questions here is like any tips to women that say, wow, I want to go where Nicole and her husband, Peter went. And secondly, I know you do a ton of events around town. I want to make sure you mention that so people can get plugged in with you more. So our first question, how can other women investors, other women professionals follow in your footsteps? I, it's very easy to, and I, I say this in, in the most sincere way, it's very easy for a woman to step down in the shadow of a strong male. Um, my husband is extremely loving and caring. He's more of a servant's heart. Okay. So he's going to, in fact, shine the light back on me. Um, but I've seen women who had a story but didn't feel comfortable telling it. I, I think as a woman, you just have to find your voice. And there's some story buried in my mom and what we experienced. My mom is an incredibly strong Greek New Yorker. There is a lot about my mom that I love. Um, but she raised my brother and I uh, in a way that, that she had to based on being a single mom. And there was no story there for me. Like that wasn't, that wasn't a story. It was my life. And I didn't think of it as a story until I got older and started realizing that people need to be able to relate to me and, and not, I don't want to say follow me because that's the wrong word, but they need to be able to see where I'm going if they want these same things or, or want to learn the experience that I've I've had. So I, I would say as a woman, find your story. Find the thing that you can stand up on a, on a pedestal and talk about. What is it that you bring to the table in a way of your passion, 
your empathy, your expression, your artistry, your financial wizardry, whatever that is about you, um, and and be loud about it. So often we we are quiet about it, about our strengths. We don't want to be too strong. I think we need to be strong. And you have to be willing to not be liked all the time. Like I I have three amazing kids, but their teachers didn't know me because I was working. My oldest son to this day, he laughs about the fact that he had to bring in a picture of me <laughs> to say that, no, my mom actually exists. This is her, right? And I don't say that because I'm proud of it. I say that because it's just who I was. I, mm-hmm. I worked, I loved my job, I loved serving others. And, I, and ultimately I loved my children. My children come to me today as a, an as a, an entrepreneur and as a leader, they ask me questions about their career and their jobs and, and taking that next step. They went to their father when they needed doctor's appointments and care and they forgot their lunches, right? So it's, and that's okay. And he was the most brilliant parent. He was five times the parent I ever could have been. And, and that, you have to be okay with the fact that you're not the the perfect ideal for whatever you think a woman should be. That's great advice there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Now, I know you are a content producer. You are a teacher at heart. You like to educate. I know you post a lot of content on Facebook Lives, blog posts. You hold uh, a lot of events. Can you give us a rundown for like how people can just, you know, get plugged into some of your content and kind of get plugged into your sphere? Absolutely. So uh, theruthteam.com is our website and it's R-U-E-T-H. And so that has a lot of our our classes and events. So we have the same consistent schedule. So every uh, Tuesday morning, we do a Facebook and Instagram live at 8 a.m. Every Wednesday, we send out a content video. This Wednesday happens to be a video of our, my first fourplex that I ever owned. Uh, You want to see a C-grade Oh, you going to do a video walkthrough? Yeah, we did. Oh, cool. (laughs) Definitely. I I want to see that. coming out on Wednesday. Uh, Every Thursday, uh, Megan Aller and I, uh, in title, we come together and we do a market update, primarily for real estate agents, but we have clients that listen to that because that's live on Facebook as well. And then Saturday morning, I write a blog for whatever's going on that week uh, economically, what's changing the psyche of a buyer seller's mind on whether or not to buy or to invest. And so, and I still write those blogs. I know as crazy as that sounds. So those are all the things. And then once a month, we do a class on the second Thursday of every month at 6.30 p.m. in our office uh, live on building investment empire. What was that first step I took? What do you need to think about as a loan, as a model? My husband and I created a spreadsheet so you can track the goals for your properties. Uh, it's the gold box. And then... Um, and then we have an, we have our big event for real estate agents. It's called The Next Big Thing. We premiered this February in 2022 with Ryan Serhant. And then we're already planning for next February. So it's uh, it's going to knock it out of the park. Yeah. After you tell me Serhant went your first one, I, I, I am jealous I missed that. Um, so I'll, I'll be the next one. I think that's super cool. All right. So I want to make sure we got this right. So people go to theruthteam.com and that's R-U-E-T-H. Yes. They can find all the stuff you talked about on there, yes. right? Yes. Awesome. And they can find the content, uh, yeah. connect with you also from like a, a lender stamp capacity as well. Just everything. That's the source to go to. Yes. We have a, a lot of loan program options, especially for investors. We do all the non-QM and the DSCRs. Um, and oh, we also, you have those products as well? We do. Is that yep. through Fairway or is that a different? Yep. Okay. Uh, well, it's through our broker channel through Fairway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we are also on TikTok and YouTube. So we put out a lot of YouTube content. All right. Well, Wrapping up right now, we're yes. recording this end of August. Uh, market has been crazy. 
to say least last five months. I think reality is starting to check in. People are going back to school. Um, what general tips do you have for investors uh, and just in general and just real estate people in general right now at this time in the market? There is, I, I hate to say there's never been a better time, but in the last three years, there's never been a better time for a buyer than right now. Yeah. Um, they have to understand that I un- I get the fact that purchase prices are up. I get the fact that interest rates are up. And I even get the fact that instability feels real. But beyond that, if you're in a job that you feel is stable, if you're if you have the cash flow that you believe you can invest, right now there the buyer demand is down. Supply is also slightly down and will continue to drop through the rest of the year. So as we get into the next year, if we hit 2023 and we have a recession, interest rates will drop, inventory will be low. There will be a run up in purchase prices again as buyers come out of the woodwork, not enough sellers, and now all of a sudden you're paying $50,000 over asking again. But right now, that's not happening. Right now, you might be the only offer or one of very few And you can get it for under, I was just talking to somebody this morning and they had a listing that they were asking and they had nine offers, but all 30,000 under asking. Wow, that's so rare. It is. And that's the opportunities right now. So not every, if you stage it right and price it right, there will be multiple bids and it will go for over asking. But if you don't, as a seller, there are going to be buyers that are looking for opportunities and getting in today and allowing yourself to refinance later or take advantage of the opportunity, allowing that run up in purchase prices not be against you when you're trying to buy, but before you when you own. Yeah. That's the position you want to be in. I love it. Nicole, thank you so much. Thanks. I'm impressed with your story, your background, all the tips you have. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Listener viewers out there, make sure you plug into theruthteam.com. Tons of content, tons of resources there. And Ruth, or Nicole, thank you so much. You're very welcome, Chris. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week. Absolutely. 